We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, RotoViz Radio listener. This is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to RotoViz.com, click the subscribe button. Put the 12-month subscription in your cart and use promo code RVRADIO2021. That's RVRADIO2021. And you're going to save 10%. Taking advantage of this deal, getting your hands on what's included in the package is the best way to enhance your performance this year. So go to rotoviz.com and subscribe now. Mahomes has the time, delivers, perfectly downfield, touchdown, Patrick Mahomes with a rope. This one out, touchdown. This time going deep for Beckham Jr. Hello and welcome back to Rotoviz Overtime on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And as always, I'm going to be joined by my co-host here on the podcast. It is Sean Siegel, and then we are delighted today to have uh, an additional uh, person on the show, an additional guest, and that is Sam Wallace. We've talked a lot about Sam's work up on Rotoviz.com on podcasts over the last year or so, and uh, it's been phenomenal to watch him. Uh, you know, grow as a writer and grow his influence in the community and um, it's something that I've been wanting to do for quite some time is uh, do a podcast with Sam so thankfully we have been able to make that happen here today so if you haven't already followed Sam you're going to want to uh, once you hear what he says on today's show but you can follow him on Twitter at swallace underscore ff and uh, I guess with all that said Sam welcome to the show. Thank you very much for the kind introduction, and it's it's been a long time coming, I think. I know, Colin, you and I have talked a few times about wanting to get on the air and meet face-to-face and talk in real time, as we were talking about prior to the show, and it's been cool. I'm really grateful for the opportunity that you've both extended to me to not only be on the show today, but to have a, a platform that I'm very grateful for and a chance to grow as as a writer, as a, as a fantasy manager, and as someone who um, has kind of grown in the community, and it's, it's cool. It's a very humbling experience, so thank you both. Well, Sam, it's been... Absolutely awesome to have you on the site. You and I obviously chat quite a bit. We've done some drafts together. We'll talk a little bit about that. One of the reasons you've been doing great content for the site, a couple of different series here, an undervalued redraft series, a buy high dynasty series, which I think is a little bit of a fun concept. I'm going to tie a couple of those things together in terms of getting your thoughts on how dynasty owners should be playing this offseason here. You and I were in a dynasty startup earlier this year. We selected Brandon Ayuk at wide receiver 13. 
He's one of your buy high guys. How concerned are you that the San Francisco offense will be run heavy with Lance this year and that Debo and Kittle might be better fits for the rookie? You know, should we be worried that all three guys, though big time talents, will actually next year? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And definitely it's it's a little bit it's tough when you're when you're looking at the value of a, of offensive playmakers on an offense that clearly wants to run the ball. They've been very successful with that, and I think word just came out that you know if they want to run the ball, if they want to try to run the ball 500 times this year, that's that's well within the range of outcomes for that offense. For me, looking at Ayuk, uh, he, he's ranked very highly within our road of his Superflex Dynasty rankings as, as a website. He's ranked as a back end wide receiver one, and I, I think that's fine. And I I like that price for him, and I think he's still worth the price to pay up for that. For me, why I like him relative to if we're just looking at the wide receivers between him and Debo Samuel, I think comes down to their their, their college comps coming out, looking at the prospect box score scout, looking over at their sims for, for Debo Samuel, starting with him. Looking at, again, the comps on paper, he profiles a little bit more, I think, uh, as a possession receiver. Some comps that jump out are um, Sterling Shepard, Robert Woods, very productive, you know, kind of that middling wide receiver too, if you can get some good production out of them, but don't really see like that alpha wide receiver profile for Debo that I do with Brandon Ayuk. And some of the big pull for Ayuk last year was, you know, well, he, he was the guy um, when, when Debo and Kittle were down and that's maybe been a knock on him. Well, he only produced because he was the guy and that's true, but he still produced. He did what was asked of him. And I think he's the most talented wide receiver in the room. So looking at his college comps, we start to see more of an alpha wide receiver profile. We see some comps that include DeAndre Hopkins, CeeDee Lamb, and Kelvin Ridley. Those guys really, to me, profile as that next tier up of guys that can really take over an offense, command a large target share. And, you know, Ayuk averaged 15.4 points per game across his rookie season. And his elite stretch when he was really the, the only guy there from weeks 7 to 15, he was averaging over 20 points a game getting eight targets a game. Again, it was without Kittle and without Samuel. But for me, I like the concept of if everyone, anyone's worried about him being that guy because he was the only option last year, I think that's a perfect time to get him. And he could be cheaper next year relative to maybe what he is now if we don't know how the how the quarterback situation is going to play out, if it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo, if it's going to be Trey Lance, what split of the season are they going to do? How are they going to you know incorporate their offensive playmakers? I'd rather buy him now and just have him than, you know, wait to see, well, what if something happens? I'd rather be more proactive with that move than not. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting with that is a lot of the time you'll hear people talk about buy low, buy this player low. When you talk about buy high, what are you extending to the readers in terms of like, what should we be doing and how high is too high in terms of giving up all your picks for the next two or three years? And how then does that all fit into your overall dynasty philosophy? It's a fun narrative that I've explored really since um, since I really joined Rotoviz. And oddly enough, my my first piece for the website was why you should buy high on Debo Samuel, and that was prior to the twenty nine or prior to the twenty twenty NFL draft. Um, but it was in a situation where I felt that the player himself was still ascending. And when people talk about buying low, I think we're always trying to naturally looking for you know bottom of the barrel assets that we think are at their floor in terms of price, where we can get them the cheapest that they'll ever be. But you know, Calvin Ridley was somebody that I wrote about wanting to buy high prior to last year, where I looked at it, and that was even before the Julio Jones trade rumors, things like that. Where yes, if you didn't get Calvin Ridley as a rookie, he obviously drastically increased in price after his rookie season, which was phenomenal. But I still felt that the perception of him wasn't even high enough. He wasn't at his peak value yet. So in terms of buying high, 
I think a lot of dynasty managers get a little worried if they miss like the floor price, they're just out. You can buy someone at a premium and a year from now, it could still be considered a value. You don't have to worry about missing out on the, the, the floor price as long as you pay them or buy them before maybe they hit their absolute peak. And if you paid a lot for Calvin Ridley last year, it's probably considered a bargain right now. Now, knowing what we know, and for me, it was kind of taking a shot on a, a player that I believed in, was in a high-powered offense that even with Julio Jones could still produce wide receiver one numbers. And now, who knows? We could really see an even bigger step from Kelvin Ridley this year being the clear-cut guy on an offense that doesn't have a very intimidating run game. Defense still has some question marks, and it's going to be a tough division. So for, for me, buying high in a guy is, you know, you don't have to catch it at the beginning, like I said, but is, be, be willing to pay up for guys that I think could still continue to grow in value for your team. Sam, I really like that concept. When you started writing about it for Rotovis, I was like, oh, this is perfect because we do want to communicate to readers to not be scared, right? If you have a guy who is ascending in value and has the right profile, I mean, so much of what we're looking at, the trajectory of these players, how they're going to move through their careers, you know, what guys are the types of players you want to have as your foundation pieces. If you need to go out and pay a fair price to get them, don't be scared to do that. I think people are looking to always get bargains in a way that will keep them from making those changes to their roster fundamentally that will be the difference between winning and losing. Whereas some of these bargains on the periphery, if you stack enough of them up, they will help, but they don't necessarily change your team. Talking about this idea of stacking up some bargains on the periphery, I wanted to go back to this draft that we had. And it's always interesting when you do a pre-NFL draft dynasty startup, there are a lot of things that when you go back and look at it, you're like, I I'm not sure exactly why we did that. It seems really weird now. It's a good ex exercise, I think, because it reminds you how even when no football is being played, there can be a ton of change in value of these players. And then sometimes you go back through and you look at it and you're like, well, we actually nailed some of these picks. This is looking very good now. I looked at this startup rounds nine, uh, 17 through five picks in that range. We took James Conner, Tarek Cohen, Philip Lindsay, David Johnson, and Marvin Jones. Those aren't necessarily exciting names, but you push for someone like James Conner. He's someone now I'm drafting everywhere in round nine in redraft. Cohen's a personal favorite. Lindsay's a favorite. David Johnson, uh, someone who, you know, round 21, right? And he's going to be the starting running back for the Houston Texans. And then Marvin Jones, someone I really don't care for. But again, the value there, we did this to an extent on purpose, partly trying to find value, partly pivoting from a very young team early. I think there are several ideas. Go with kind of what you think is the most interesting. Number one is this idea about zero running back in dynasty formats and how in some ways it's almost easier to play it there because older backs are so heavily devalued or this idea of win now, win always. We talk about it constantly on the show, write about it on the website, loading up on young stars early and then pivoting to intriguing or undervalued veterans late. How much of that do you think is intentional and works with this draft? How much does it work in drafts overall? Do you prefer this over say going win now with the early picks? And then I think it's hard because I love all of the sort of sleepers the rookie sleepers but if you're going for young picks in these range aren't you more or less just throwing those picks away i think one of the favorite things that i enjoyed about the the startup draft that you and i did together earlier this year was 
how our team came together with, with intentional layers. And I think when people go into startup drafts, they either have this perception of, I want to go all in and win right away with maybe established second, third, fourth year guys or veterans, then maybe sprinkling some rookies later. Some people entirely punt the, the startup draft and really just accrue future value and picks and they keep trading out and trading out. But I think the way I liked how our draft came together was there was layers to it. We, we went pretty young pretty early, but we came back with guys that can still produce. It wasn't just like throwaway picks because a lot of these guys, James Conner has obviously risen in value. Tariq Cohen, again, he, he's a personal favorite for me as well. Philip Lindsay's been efficient with his opportunity. David Johnson is the starting running back for an NFL franchise. And to get that value that late, those guys aren't just veterans that are going to sit. They, they could potentially be startable assets or tradable assets at some point during the season, depending on how our team starts off the year, depending on how these NFL franchises start to do early on. Some free agent moves could be made yet, but for me, it was that intentionality of building layers to your team. It didn't have to be all young players. It didn't have to be all um, veteran players, but how we went about doing it from our quarterback room to our running back room, we have these guys that we can kind of continue to cycle through where it's not just a win now, it's a win always window. And you, you've written about that, Sean, about how to keep your championship window open permanently. And I think it's not, not a novel concept, but I think too many dynasty players sometimes get stuck in this I have my window, but then I have to tear it down and rebuild. And we talk a lot about and write about on the site. It's not always a rebuild. It's a reload. It's a retooling. How can you get those players back then? And sometimes it's trading away and buying back at a better value later on with the same players. You don't always know how that value is going to go. So for me, again, yeah, I like that concept of those veteran running backs later. And James Conner is looking like one of the steals of the second half of the draft because he he's locked into, you know, assuming health, which is always dangerous. But Kenyon Drake just walked out with, you know, 230 carries out of that backfield. So having that opportunity for him to step right in, that's encouraging for sure. Yeah, I think uh, we've talked about Connor a number of times in the show. I think he's one of, you know, he's going to start to get a little bit more pricey. I think as people start to expect that workload um, in terms of best ball, um, James Connor has been uh, one of my most owned players this year. And you mentioned there David Johnson being the uh, starting running back for an NFL team. Uh, I, I thought Philip Lindsay was the starting running back for the Houston Texans. <laughs> but uh, no, I joke. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But uh, in terms of, um, you wrote a piece in terms of undervalued running backs uh, to focus specifically on redraft. Um, you used the game splits and the um, the range of outcomes app uh, to find the values based on a couple of concepts. Um, that idea, 
backed by Rotoviz research that slow finishers are undervalued and the evidence that these backs are undervalued relative to the range of outcomes of the tree. Uh, who was your favorite? For me, looking at the article again, circling back to it about a week later, I really like Josh Jacobs' value relative to where we have him statted out in the range of outcomes app. And he's not an exciting player. He, he's not a flashy player, but all he does is get volume. And since he's entered the league over the last two seasons, he's the running back four in total rushing attempts. So he slots in behind like your traditional bell cow backs and Derrick Henry, Delvin Cook, and Ezekiel Elliott. And then after those three, Josh Jacobs has 515 rushing attempts um, since he's entered the league. So it's it's not, again, it's not exciting. You don't really think of him as being like a true bell cow back, but he's finished um, in points per game at 16 and 14, respectively, over his first two years in the league. And when I wrote the piece, his best ball ADP was down at RB21. And to show you kind of the disconnect between where his best ball ADP is right now and where we have him kind of statted out in the range of outcomes app, he's up at RB10 right now in his PPR average. So that's significantly higher than where the the industry has him ranked at from, from his ADP perspective. He doesn't come without risk. They did add Kenyon Drake, who I'm not overly worried about. I think they had to add a body to that backfield anyways, but the thing that's going to get him is if touchdowns don't go his way, he just hasn't been utilized in the passing game. And that's the thing that really separates him from two of the backs in front of him when I rank them in order of total rushing attempts over the last two seasons. We know Derrick Henry doesn't get a whole lot of usage in the passing game. He's only averaging 1.8 targets per game over the last two years. Um, and Jacobs is up at 2.6, not all that exciting, but both Cook and Ezekiel Elliott are over four targets a game over the last two years. So that just really provides them so much more value. And if he's not, if Jacobs is not getting that passing down involvement and he's not scoring an absurd amount of touchdowns and accruing a lot of yardage like Derrick Henry, he's not really going to be seen as as valuable as those three running backs. But at the same time, Opportunity is huge for running backs. And I do think that the the Raiders offense is still going to be productive. Derek Carr is an efficient game manager of the football and he moves the offense very well. I think that offense as a whole takes a bit of a step forward overall and doesn't just solely rely on Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs. But I think the offense will be good enough to score points. And I do think the touchdowns will go his way. And if they do, that immediately vaults him much, much higher than where his um, current ADP is. The only bummer part about where he's going is if I'm in a startup draft or in a single season draft, he's going in that range where I tend to not target running backs anyways. Uh, I tend to prefer the wide receivers in that range over running backs in that range. But again, if you're looking for someone who could significantly outproduce currently his current ADP in at least the 2021 season, Josh Jacobs is somebody who I think is locked into a whole lot of volume that isn't getting the volume recognition as to what he could produce this season. Sam, you mentioned where you have Jacobs and where some of the tools project Jacobs and how he looks to be undervalued. We know so much about the running back dead zone at this point. And I think that once we get into that area, drafters start to get a little bit nervous. One of the things I've been trying to discuss with listeners this year is that just because a range of ADP has been problematic doesn't necessarily mean that every player within that group is problematic. And if you have running backs going in round one, Kyle in the dead zone, then look at them as dead zone backs. Don't take them because you're wanting some first round exposure. Definitely. That's the case with a lot of the round two backs. By contrast, there are some interesting guys in rounds three and round four. And obviously, even though they're in the dead zone, if they should be valued as first or second rounders, 
not only are you actually not getting a dead zone back in reality, but you're getting this huge discount. How surprised are you that someone like a Josh Jacobs, and when you think about what David Montgomery did to finish the season last year, and it, it's very striking to me that these players were just such sensations, so trendy in the dynasty community years ago, they've arguably done what could reasonably be expected of them through two seasons. And now people seem to think that they're not particularly talented. I actually have been a skeptic and I'm moving in the direction of thinking that they're undervalued while the rest of the community is going the other direction. Is there something that we're missing there? How high are you on these two guys together? Are they viable pieces for your team? I definitely think so. And you bring up a really good point about the running back dead zone that if, you know, somebody like Josh Jacobs is in that range and I view him as higher than that, that's a great point that I would then be getting a value relative to my own expectations and perceptions of what that player could accomplish. But even looking at best ball ADP right now, while we're here, Montgomery and Jacobs are going back to back as running back 20 and 21 respectively in the fourth round. So just back end running back twos right around the same value as wide receivers like Amari Cooper, Robert Woods, Mike Evans, DJ Moore, many of whom probably would be drafted ahead depending on your roster construction. But I think the roster construction piece is huge depending on how you go with your early first rounds. And a lot of what the narrative has been around Montgomery last year was, well, he had that really easy schedule to finish the season, but you know, he, he should have, and he should have produced what he did. It wasn't like he, he went out and had this easy schedule and didn't do well. We'll see how the return of Tariq Cohen kind of changes that backfield, but I think that offense is going to be drastically improved with Justin Fields under center as opposed to Andy Dalton. I think that just provides more opportunity for that offense to put themselves in scoring position. So yeah, I think you bring up a good point of guys like Montgomery and Jacobs who have done who have done probably all that's been asked of them relative to their expectations coming in. They just still aren't valued that way, and I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I don't know if that's just kind of the the, the group think or the echo chamber that the community can sometimes put itself in of, we tell ourselves the player, these players aren't valuable, we don't draft them there, their ADP isn't there, so we don't take them there. I'm not sure, but it's a, it's a fascinating subject to get into, and I like hearing that you're a skeptic of that because these are the decisions that tend to be made when you can really find value in certain areas of your draft, where these players could drastically outproduce where they're going right now. When we're talking about the roster construction, Sam, one of the things that can be interesting to do is to look at what your pairings would potentially be. So when we're looking at the guys that you get, you mentioned one of the reasons why it's tough to take these guys in the rounds three and round four is those wide receivers are so good, right? But that same, even though we know the value of getting some exposure to first round running backs and no one should ever be passing on a Christian McCaffrey, the wide receivers in round one, I mean, you're going to have to pass on a Tyreek Hill to take some of these other guys. In terms of pairings, just what are your thoughts about Tyreek Hill and Josh Jacobs versus Oscar, for example? I would probably prefer the Tyreek Hill-Josh Jacobs stack, I think, right now, because I, I know the ceiling of Tyreek Hill. And I think you just have guaranteed volume with with Josh Jacobs. But at the same time, again, as I kind of think about it out loud, I don't know exactly how the Cowboys offense is going to look. I think it's going to be better, obviously, with Dak. I don't know exactly how that volume is going to go. I could see having, obviously, somebody like Amari Cooper being the wide receiver one in that team if it's not CeeDee Lamb. We'll see a big of a step forward he takes. But Eckler is someone who I think has RB1 overall upside this season with his blend of receiving work and rushing work. 
that's good. Uh, I think I would probably still lean the Tyreek Hill side because I know what I'm getting there. And I think that just says more about him than it does about a, a lack of a lack of liking either the the Eckler or Cooper side. Just circling back to the wide receiver piece, Sam, Sam, in terms of we did touch on this about buying high and this piece is about buying high. You also mentioned about the option of sometimes when we're looking to buy low it is on the, those more veteran players who may be on the the downturn one of the players that i was interested just to get your thoughts to elaborate on was michael thomas so a lot of people would think that drew Brees is no longer there last year wasn't what they probably expected so he's currently wide receiver 17 in terms of the Superflex dynasty rankings he's had a a really super run in 2018 2019 then obviously last year wasn't wasn't as successful but What's your thoughts on him? I think a lot of people would be interested that he's in the, the buy and high list versus what some people might be thinking it's a time to buy low on him. Right. And looking at ADP of wide receiver 17, you don't often think about paying up for a player in that range, but I think he's still such a name value for players that his ADP right now might be wide receiver 17 and startups. But if you were to try to trade him at wide receiver 17 value, I don't think you're going to get that. I don't think you're going to be able to pay mid wide receiver two value for somebody like Michael Thomas. I think the Michael Thomas owner will still view him as, you know, the almost 22 points per game he's been over the last two seasons um, or sorry, from 2018 to 2019. So, so for me, you're still going to have to pay up for him, and I don't mind that. And Curtis Patrick just put out a really, really good podcast on some of his most owned wide receivers right now in best ball drafts. And uh, to spoil it a little bit for the listener, one of them was was Michael Thomas, and he talked a lot about you know the things that we're talking about right now of how successful he's been. I I don't think that Michael Thomas is probably someone I'm investing in in startup drafts, depending on again how I decide to approach it. But if I have an established team and I'm looking to add a player that I think can still, within relative reason, you know, reason, finish as the wide receiver one this year, I think that's certainly within his range of outcomes. The, the game splits app shows kind of a nice disparity here of how Thomas has done with and without Breeze. And in his career, he's played 10 games without Breeze since 2016. So not a huge sample size, but it's 10 games. That's over half of a season. He has actually scored almost identical in terms of points per game. So with Breeze, he's at 18.5. Without Breeze, he's at over 18.7. Paces out for 300 PPR points. He actually has a little bit more in the receptions category, a little bit down in the in the touchdowns, and he's about equal in targets, actually a little bit up, and he's up in receiving yards per game at over 92 yards per game. So I'm not worried about who the quarterback is. If it is Taysom Hill, the Saints have paid him like they want him to be under center. If it is Taysom Hill they don't really have any other talented pass catchers at the wide receiver position outside of Thomas. I fully expect and trust Sean Payton and the offense to run that offense through their star players. I would probably be more concerned um, Elvin Kamara if Taysom Hill is under center. But in terms of Hill versus Winston, Thomas is someone who I think should very easily outproduce his wide receiver 17 ADP, at least for the next two seasons. So Sam, you have been just on fire with the content as of late, pushing out a bunch of good articles in several different series. We have the buy high series. We have the undervalued series. You're covering running backs and wide receivers in both groups. You've got another article coming out today. And then you have another series that you pitched for me immediately following. Uh, tell us what we have to look forward to you on the Rotoviz site. Yeah, it's been a really cool opportunity to have some more time now as the calendar turns to July to get a little bit more content out as hopefully the holiday weekend here is going to start kicking off some more interest in, in redraft and dynasty leagues across the board. 
the the series that I'm excited to start off with um, is about undervalued offenses and how they can be maybe some potential gold mines for fantasy assets. Looking at offenses that I think should maybe be better uh, moving forward into this season than they were last season, and looking at players that relative to their offensive expectations I think are undervalued at the skill position players. Probably more so at wide receiver and running back, but we'll see if we can maybe find some tight end values there as well. So my goal is to put out three pieces here over the next week or two on three different offenses that I think have value, value at running back and wide receiver positions, and hopefully provide the, the readers and the listeners some, some value in their upcoming drafts. No, I'm looking forward to that, Sam. It uh, should be really good. I would highly recommend as well for the, the listeners listening in to follow Sam on Twitter at Wallace underscore FF. Just in terms, Sam, uh, I know you've done some of the consultations and things like that um, over the last kind of year. So is there anything else that you do want to highlight before we, we wrap things up? Um, no, not too much, but I'm always looking for, you know, opportunities to guest appear on podcasts like this. It's been really cool to have different opportunities to connect with different individuals in the fantasy space and promote the work that I'm doing, the awesome work that we do here at Rotoviz, and just really learn and connect with different people. And especially during the off season, the community tends to be a a big focus of mine. Not that it isn't during the season as well, but when we don't have actual games to write about and research and talk about, it's really cool to kind of expand my own network a little bit and connect with others and, and learn and grow with the game that we all love. Sam, thanks for joining us today. It's been awesome to have you on the show. Really enjoyed reading your work. Uh, one of the things that fantasy wrote back and read what they've written about the previous year, it can be very humbling. You find out how many things that you have missed. When I go back through and look at Sam's work from the previous season, or even when I'm looking at articles to support my current research, What I find is that Sam has been nailing everything. He mentioned the Ridley article. That's just one of the many players he hit on last season. So if you want to listen to, if you want to read someone who has been getting you all the best guys, he talks about buying high. If you're going to buy high and hit at the rate that Sam is hitting at, then you will dominate your dynasty league. So it's been great to have Sam on the show and, and we're very excited about all the content he has coming out in the near future. Sounds good. Sounds good. So as we get ready to close things out, I do want to give a mention as well to Sean's podcast. If you haven't checked it out already, this is obviously recorded on Thursday and we're going to have Sean and uh, Ben dropping a podcast on Wednesday with JJ Zacharyson. So do check that one out. It's uh, it's going to be a good listen. And of course, as always, you can get yourself a 10% discount off a road of his NFL pass. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout or go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. That's going to bring us to the end of today's show. As I mentioned a moment ago, our guest today was Sam Wallace. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at SWallace underscore FF. My co-host, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can check out Sean's great work up on rotoviz.com. If you do have any suggestions for topics you'd like to hear in future shows or any listener questions, you can send them my way on Twitter at Overtime Ireland or you can email them over at rotovizradio at gmail.com. And until we're back on Saturday with another show, and until then, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.